0: Come and go and I'm
1: forever grateful. Come and tell me long and slow exactly what I wait for. Better times, yeah, better times. Somehow I don't believe it. I built a house up long ago just to all believe
0: it. Welcome to On the Wing Podcast. I'm going to start this episode by reading the following excerpt of an email I just received in my inbox a few days ago. It starts like this. I am a Pheasants Forever member and regular listener of On The Wing Podcast. I'm a former Marine Corps officer and software entrepreneur. Last year, I sold my software startup and retired. Consequently, I was fortunate to hunt birds more than 100 days with my two Britneys, Ellie and Louie, last season. This year, I set a goal of hunting and bagging all nine species of upland birds in my home state of Idaho. And I'm thrilled to report I just completed that goal. Those are the words from Vincent, or Vince Martino, articulating his Upland goal for this season. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the focus of today's On the Wing podcast, the Idaho Nine for Upland birds. Vince, thank you very much, first of all, for sending me that cool email, and uh, thanks for joining me today.
2: Oh, thanks for having me on Bob I really appreciate it and I appreciate your response and I, I really look forward to to this uh, session with
0: you uh, I you know I love getting emails like that from folks that listen who are members of Pheasants Forever Quail Forever you know are committed to the cause of conservation and you know you've got um, a unique story to tell which I'm interested in, in hearing we We've only talked for like maybe five minutes, so I only know right. I only know an outline of this story. So I'm excited as the listeners to hear the entirety of it. But let's let's start at the beginning. At your birth. Yeah. <laughs> so give yeah. us a little oh. background on Vincent Martino. Where are you from? Um, uh, yep. what you know, what you did for a living before you were able to retire. Lucky uh hmm. t- tell us yeah. a little bit about your background
2: yeah definitely lucky and i appreciate that um so i actually grew up in new jersey uh of all places to hunt birds um actually where i grew up was pretty good phe- uh, pheasant hunting country at the time you know unfortunately a lot of places that the pheasant aren't there anymore uh the native bird we had back in new jersey were woodcock and so i, I grew up hunting with my dad uh his dad was an italian immigrant hmm. who hunted quail in italy so um you know you don't hear a lot about Italian quail no. hunting, but um, my grandfather brought that to the United States, and then he passed that on to my dad, and then my dad passed that on to me and my, my brothers, and so we all grew up bird hunters as kids. Um, we uh, had, since I was five, had seven different Britneys, so I'm definitely a Britney guy. Uh, my current two Britneys are brother and sister, Ellie and Louie. Um, spent, you know, my of years in New Jersey, went to college in Maryland, and then I, I joined the Marine Corps. Hmm. Um, I was a Marine Corps officer stationed in San Diego. Um, in San Diego, I actually got into quail hunting a lot because that was really the the only species in that area. Uh, kind of between running between California and Arizona hunting gambles and valley quail, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, got out of the Marine Corps and um, went to business school. And my wife and I, my wife is Stacy, I should have mentioned her earlier. I got married <laughs> to her while I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, lived back east for just a little while, and then I said, You know, I'm, I, we're starting to raise a family, and I, I really wanted to raise my kids in a place that was um, a lot more, you know, outdoorsy, a lot more kind of, you know, fresh air, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we, we actually moved to Idaho before our first child was born. So I've lived in Idaho now for 21 years. Um, I've been in some form of technology or software in, you know, pretty much my entire career. Um, I started a software company about 12, 13 years ago with, with a co-founder, uh, who also is a hunter who lives here in Idaho. And we were lucky enough to sell it, like you mentioned, about a year and a half ago. Mm. So the last two bird seasons, I've definitely, uh, done a lot more bird hunting than I've, uh, than I've done in the previous 20 years living in Idaho. But, you know, I have hunted chucker very consistently since I lived here, quail, pheasant, like New Jersey, our pheasant population, unfortunately is under a lot of duress here in Idaho, mm. but, um. Uh, very consistently hunted birds, and my other passion is fly fishing. But uh, you said a few minutes. That's about as much as I probably could <laughs> tell you about myself. But uh appreciate, appreciate you asking that.
0: Well, and, and for folks, obviously, you can't see. You can um, only listen. Behind Vince, he's got a his fly tying table. So you definitely have a fly tying passion. Yeah, um, for sure. Do you do you frequently use feathers from the upland birds you hunt in? Yeah, that's in fly fishing? a good question.
2: Not too much, just mm. you know, treating them and stuff. It, it just you buy a bag in the store for a dollar ninety nine, and you're probably good for ten years, you know. So,
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: some of the pheasant tails you can kind of see up there uh, are probably from pheasant we've shot, but not not too much else.
0: Um, yeah. You mentioned the desire to move back west. How did mm-hmm. how did Idaho end up being this stopping point for you?
2: yeah it's a great question i i didn't know anything about idaho months before i ended up moving here i just kind of thought northwest and i i don't you know it had a kind of mixture of the outdoors i also like to ski you know fishing hunting i looked in uh so i looked in like four cities bozeman Mm. I, i thought seattle portland those are a little too much of a city for me and then boise and uh when I looked at Boise versus Bozeman, I, I felt like Boise just had a little bit more of an economy here. Hmm. So if I started a company or joined a company and it failed or I needed to move, you know, there was some depth to the market in Boise. So it's probably a little more of an economic decision to move to Boise over Bozeman. Though, I, you know, looking back on it, Bozeman would have been great too, right? right. But um
0: what, what, I, I'm real happy with it here. How so far back was family.
2: that? Um. That was 21 years ago, oh, okay. right? So okay, yeah. yeah.
0: Bozeman yeah. for sure has exploded in that time. Yeah. So is Bo- yeah, Boise. Yeah, Boise and Bozeman
2: too. are the two kind of explosive cities probably out in this Intermountain West.
0: Hmm. Um, and I, uh, you know, be- oh, I was just going to
2: say, I, I failed to mention, them. really importantly, um, I have two boys now, a um, 20-year-old son who's in college. He goes to Princeton University on the East Coast. Wow. He's a college wrestler. And then my 17 year old son um, is also a wrestler. He's going to be going to Princeton. So I got one year left to uh, really enjoy hunting with my youngest son, who loves bird hunting probably more than I do, right? So we bird hunt as much as we can together. But those, I'll be talking about Matthew, my younger son, quite a bit because um, we hunt together a lot. So sorry I didn't mention that it- earlier.
0: No, that's cool. Both going to Princeton too. Yeah, how that happened.
2: They get, I guess they got their brains from their mother. So. <laughs> Somewhere hereditary, you know, hereditary. Yeah, so, yeah.
0: Uh, that's awesome. Well, I, I want to dive into the Idaho Nine, but sure. before I go there, I know you you were on a, a hunt y- yesterday, oh, yeah. um, which we we chatted briefly about. Uh, and let's see. Today's Wednesday as we record. You hunted on Tuesday. We talked about it on Monday. Yep. And you were you were pretty jacked. Yeah. You don't you don't you didn't have any other birds to check off the list, but you talked about the beauty of this mountain range. So, I, I guess more curious than anything. Tell tell me about yeah. where you went, what it looked like, and how it went.
2: Yeah, that's a great. Yeah. The, so the Owahis, everybody thinks I'm saying something wrong there. It's O W Y H E E, is a kind of a. It's the corner of where Oregon, Nevada, and Idaho meet. It's considered the Canyon Canyonlands. But the mm. Owyhee River flows through there and has formed this really amazing kind of majestic um, canyon canyon area. And it's not just like the Grand Canyon where it's one deep, long canyon. It's a pretty spread-out canyon with mm. a lot of spires and arches and just formations that I think are unlike anything I've seen. Um, maybe when people ask, it's so, you know, what is it? It's kind of like a high desert meets canyon land meets river gorge um series of of really unique geology and um a lot of sagebrush so really good for chucker. um mm. so it's a, a really unique area i think it's considered the most uninhabited area in the united states i think there's only two paved roads that runs through several i think it's like two million acres i don't have that off off the top of my head but it's a really neat area and it's a little you know a couple, hour and a half to two hour drive but i love i love hunting and fishing there it's a really great area so hmm. if anybody wants to look it up, it's, it's, I think it's a, they, it was actually called Hawaii because some settlers were from Hawaii in that area and somehow it got changed to Owahi. So. Uh,
0: yeah. Were you, were you chasing chuckers? Yeah, we there? were exclusively
2: chucker hunting yesterday. Um, chucker numbers, I, I mentioned pheasant numbers are down in I- Idaho, but this year is really a, a strong chucker year. And yesterday, and the, uh, my one other time I went there earlier this year, definitely proved that. So, um, saw a lot of birds, um, it was a very unique, again. I've been hunting chucker here 21 years, and uh, we had an we had an inversion yesterday, which means oh. the kind of cold air is trapped under the warm air, and so all of the canyon land was really socked in with fog. And huh. so we had to kind of improvise. And a friend of mine is up here from Texas, and I was hunting with one other guy, and so we had to improvise. And it took us a few hours actually to find a huntable area where we were out of the fog, if, you know, for safety of sh- hunting, of course, but also safety of the dogs because there's ridges and stuff they could fall on. So we actually got finally got up out of the fog, and then we got on birds, and it turned out to be a really great day.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I, I guess safety is something that's always on the back of my mind when I'm mm-hmm. talking with folks out west, and uh, you know, you brought it up. Like, how nervous are you of a dog going off a? Yeah, cliff? very. Yeah, that's a great yeah. question.
2: Um, I'll I'll bring this up later in the podcast. But two things really I'm always on my mind when I'm hunting, especially in the Ouachites, are snakes. Until, right. until it gets cold. And then, and then and then just the rim rock. And the rim rock is just really basically 90 degree ledges of, of basalt rock. And anywhere from, you know, five foot falls, which aren't usually bad, to hundred multi-hundred foot mm. falls. I've had multiple friends have to bury their dogs out there, and it's not something you, you want to, you know, ever deal with. My family's attached to my dogs, right? And so that would just be horrible. Um, so... What I always try to do is keep myself when I know the dogs are birdie, or most of the time, even throughout the whole hunt, I'm trying to keep myself between the dog and the rim. And mm. so, a couple times yesterday, that you know that, and I'm not I'll ideally not even be a shooter over there when 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 they're on birds near the rim.
0: So, does that mean that you're you have to train your dogs to being steady to wing shot and release? Yeah. Because I'm assuming if your your dogs. If these pointers are steady to wing mm-hmm. that's that's not enough that's going to create yeah some trouble right
2: yeah i think it's exactly right i think the scenario i've heard dogs are typically the dogs are smart enough usually not to go down that rim like i i, I am, my dogs are kind of fear it I, it seems like to me where i know guys who've lost dogs it's either on you know on flush Mm-hmm. or on on down bird when the down bird runs and is runs off the rim oh. and so uh my friend who lost a dog last year uh had had that happen, and so his dog was chasing a down bird and uh and ran off the rim so so,
0: so your buddy from texas yeah did did that buddy bring a dog yeah, and... he bought a
2: a beautiful new uh first you know really first time hunting uh short hair so um she she's and, done, she's doing great
0: and how how adaptable to that instinct of being wary of cliffs and the dangers of hunting out west does have you witnessed a new dog do they get it like that or does it take yeah, some time
2: it's a really good question it's interesting you know my my experience with shorthairs versus Brittany is the shorthairs tend to range more and mm-hmm. they be a little harder to control in that environment his his dog is really a, a close hunter so mm-hmm. we she hasn't really um I haven't felt like she's been in danger at all through the hunt. So I'll pay more attention that we're going to hunt one more day tomorrow. And so, uh, kind of see how she acts when we're, when we're closer to a rim,
0: but that's a good question. So one more danger question. I sure know it's great. Top of mind, right? Um, I know that there are some like thermal water features in Idaho, like, yep. for lack of a better term, and you can correct me, hot springs. Yeah,
2: like, we're going to one tomorrow. <laughs> that's where we're going. Yeah.
0: Okay, so yep. that's got to be something on your mind with dogs because your dog doesn't know yeah. that that's deadly. Like, right, good how, question, so, yeah. How often do you encounter that and how do you prevent a problem?
2: Yeah, so my experience with them is the ones that I'm aware of are, are pretty far down in a canyon, so you wouldn't really get to them very easily, so it would take quite a climb to get down to them. Mm. Uh, a lot of people find these trails that go down, and they'll go spend either nights or days in those thermal hot springs. So the ones, the short answer, the ones I hunt aren't really close enough to be of a danger to the dog. The dog would have to roam well, well away from you to get dangerous, but... They're there, there, and there might be some I don't even know about, Bob, that um, are out there. Mm -hmm. But I I haven't heard of anybody that I know having problems with them, but it it could definitely pose a challenge if you're too close to them.
0: And, you know, people hear hot springs, and that's probably a little bit of a a term that has a connotation that they they don't need to worry about. It's like, oh, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a hot tub. This is way hotter than a hot tub this is like dead
2: yeah for- the one i think more of those are kind of in that yellow and I, i'm in boise which is pretty far southwest and our a lot of our hot springs are like more like sauna level steam Okay, uh, as you get towards yellowstone you get some of the more like near the geysers and stuff where they kind of explode out of the ground and can cause danger due to that
0: wow okay So, yeah. all right well I'll, I'll transition us here before sure. I, uh before we go to the idaho nine um, I want to give a shout-out to our on-the-wing podcast sponsor and national sponsor of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, Onyx Hunt, um, tremendous partner of our organization. Uh, if you're listening and you don't have Onyx, please download the Onyx Hunt app for a free seven-day trial at the website onyxhunt.com. And if you use the code PF. QF because you're going to like what you see there and you're going to want it on your phone. Use the code PFQF and you get 20% off your Onyx membership. Get the elite membership that gives you all the states in the country and it's amazing what you'll learn about public lands, habitat, different cover. You can see the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever land acquisitions on that app. Um, onyxhunt.com PFQF is the code to get 20% off. All right. I mentioned, I teased the focus of this conversation with Vince is his adventure this season to bag all nine of this upland bird species in the state of Idaho. Let's start with what are those nine species, Vince? Uh, just give us an overview of, Yeah. you know, let's list them.
2: Yeah. So I think um, Idaho has nine and I'm limiting it to I and mean, people could argue about doves and more migratory birds but nine resident upland species we have we have rough grouse uh blue grouse which are, here's the subspecies of dusky grouse mm-hmm. uh, we have huns hungarian partridge uh sharptail grouse uh california or valley quail uh, sage grouse pheasant chucker, and then finally spruce grouse and so our five, the grouse are the, the native species to Idaho. They're all, all native. And the other mm-hmm. four that I mentioned are actually, were brought here as early as like the 1800s, but they've all become resident
0: wild birds. Okay. Yep. And so you mentioned hunting them and bagging them all, all nine this year. Yeah. Um, I, You know, it, it, well, let's start with how did this concept come to you? Is this yeah. something you've been toying with for a while or is this like upon retirement you're like well this is the first bucket list idea
2: yeah great question no i I hadn't been toying with it um and i know you know now that i've done it i've found other people who've done it so i'm not like unique or anything like that Um, sure but my son my son christopher and i my older son he likes to fly fish and we there's a a, different states out west have these what they call either trout slams or cutthroat slams where you catch all of the subspecies or species of trout in that state Mm -hmm. and then you like wyoming does an amazing job they have a cutthroat slimy catch four different species and then the state actually issues this really cool certificate and medal i mean it's like i was really amazed what you uh, wyoming did for that and during that trip actually with my son i was thinking hey it'd be cool in the bird season to hunt all nine species oh i don't even know that there were nine for sure mm-hmm. um so and then so that's how that 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 was the genesis of the idea so kind of started fishing this summer and then translated it to a goal for the winter so
0: so as you start playing in this how many mm. of these nine species have you hunted before yeah.
2: yes that's a great question I, i've hunted and you know gotten seven of the species okay um i'd never hunted for sage grouse um run run across them quite a bit because they're out in the desert and out in the sagebrush um, i'd actually never hunted for spruce grouse so that was that was new to me
0: yeah, so, so spruces and sage grouse were the two yeah. that you never experienced until this season right right okay yeah. um all right so as you're Thinking about this and starting to plan, um, what was the species that you're like? Well, that's going to be the easiest. And yeah. then, what's the species that you're like? That's ah, good. That's going to be a challenge.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I think quail would be the easiest, mainly because they're the ones that are in. I mean. Quail are in the communities here. They're, you know, they're a lot of the little draws and I, you know, all around town.
0: And we're talking so California Valley quail.
2: California Valley quail, right? And that's yeah. a, re- and I, I'm pause there because you know Idaho used to have a very sub- great spe- um, population of before my time of mountain quail. Okay. Um, there are no, there are some mountain quail left here, but they're non-huntable. So kind of got to go to Oregon for those. But so the only yep. quail left in Idaho as a species to hunt is uh, is is the California quail. Cool. Yep. And so,
0: so that's the one you're like. I know I can get these. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, um, but then the one that your other question is, what's the one that was a wild card? I would definitely say spruce grouse. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is sage it, grouse. Sage grouse.
0: Sage grouse is the one that. Yeah. You because you you'd never hunted it before.
2: Right, and you know, I I, I haven't hunted them before mainly because they're so threatened right they're they're under duress like all a lot of the other birds um i'd see them but it's very random it's never found a pattern to when i'd see them this year happened another thing that happened this year the summer was you know idaho reported an incredible growth of say you know increased population of sage grouse and they essentially doubled the permit allowance so from one to two for the season so i put in for a permit this year and um and sure enough you know i'll talk about it when i talk about hunting sage grouse it was really hard to find one even though some days you bump into a <laughs> hundred of them right it's like mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's a lot of i don't think they follow a good pattern in terms of how they move so
0: well, well let's get into the list sure. let's, let's go there so number one the uh, first one you hunted was rough grouse yeah so th- that's right tell me about that hunt. yeah so and it, was that like se- when what like september 1st or yeah in-
2: idaho yeah. has a really kind of generous uh, grouse season goes from september 1st to december 31st and so, um, the other reason I mentioned earlier is I, I I'll typically focus on grouse first because they're at higher elevations, meaning there's no snakes. Mm. Um, we have a lot of snakes, especially in those canyon lands. So I'll typically focus on roughed and blues cause we have a lot of those both around Boise and within an hour to two of, of my house. Mm. And so it's hard to talk about roughed and blues separately. Um, but I definitely went up for roughed and blues first. And, um, I, I didn't know you were going to pitch Onyx, but man, I could pitch Onyx all day long. Cause I, I, it's probably the app I derive the most value from on my phone of all, not just in hunting, mm-hmm. right. But across all apps. So I, I kind of do a lot of e-scouting and, um, roughed are tougher than blues to find because they're, you have to find kind of that mixed here. We have a lot of aspens, So what I look mm-hmm. for is mixed Aspens and furs and water, right? So any, you could go really high up for blues and look for, blues at 8,000 feet and find them um and you'll also find roughs up there if you can find water sources with kind of dense mixed aspen and fur so kind of look for spots like that because th- therefore I go for blues and, and and roughs at the same time managed to get some roughs on my first trip didn't get any blues on that trip but um managed to get some roughs on that on that first trip about an hour north of my house
0: have you ever hunted rough grouse and the great Lakes states yeah. or new england like, yeah the, i grew
2: up in new jersey we had a hand, handful of them right so, so they, they were around
0: so when when i think about rough grouse hunting i think about just aspen thickets mm-hmm. and you know it's 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 like the tough mutter for bird hunting yeah. you know you're you're just going through stuff and it's hard to even see birds to get shots yep. um my perception of hunting rough grouse in the west in the mountains is it's considerably more open than in the, than the great lakes or the the atlantic um is that true or or am i out? yeah
2: at least where i hunt I, I think of i look for the thickest part of the woods to find the rough grouse so you, typically they're in actually in that thicket it's you're not going to be as thick as they are it's maybe in the northern parts of michigan or in in vermont right but um the difference, I think, is actually the steepness because they're typically in a draw because that's where the water is.
1: Okay. So they're going
2: to be, you know, flying from uphill to downhill. So hmm. it kind of helps them accelerate, right? So a lot more elevation change here than you, I see in most places I've hunted back on the East Coast. Right. Okay. Yep.
0: yep. Um, so you mentioned the possibility of getting rough and mm. dusky together, but yep. that didn't happen. Not so on the our number, first trip, no. <laughs> the number two species on your list was... Yeah. Do you call them blues or dusties?
2: We just call them blues colloquially blues. here. Um, okay. I, I know there's a difference, right, because the cities are up in the um, Alaska. More in Washington, Alaska area. Mm-hmm. So we, we at least my family and my friends who hunt here, we all just call them blues. So okay. sorry if I'm being wrong on that, but that's... No,
0: no, yeah. it's, a, it, yeah. it's all good. So so tell me about uh, the number two bird, blues, yeah. and, so, and how quickly did you check that off the list
2: yeah so my son my son and i went on a blues trip he got one went on a second blues trip he got one and there's several areas (laughs) right around boise that within even 45 minutes where we can get because what you just got to do is get up to the tree line where i live it's in in a valley it's sage and grass and so Mm. you look at that tree line and if you find like bigger ponderosa pines things like that you're going to find blue grouse up there Um, so we did that twice he got two birds or got more than two i think he got several And so then a week or two later, we decided to go on a combined blues and spruce grouse trip. And uh, we we had a really good time doing that together. And again, my son got blues before I did, but I finally got my blue grouse. Great point, great flush. It was almost like a pheasant point, pheasant flush on the one that I shot. Hmm. Um, You know, a lot of times blue grouse will go tree to tree, right? You probably have experienced that. And I had a rule, especially for this nine, is not shooting any birds out of trees. And so sometimes it's hard to get roughs and blues that won't leave going tree to tree, right? So I've um, got a nice blue on a, on a good flush from my, my dog, uh, Louie.
0: So blues are at the top of my list of birds that I haven't yet hunted. Oh, really? that That I would like to. And one of the reasons is I've heard they're just spectacular on the plate. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Folks, if you if you yeah. could only see yeah. Vince's face, is it is it your favorite?
2: Man, that's a hard, hard, hard question. I I don't have a favorite. I have to just say that. I think I think roughs are great. They're almost mm-hmm. like a, the I kind of call them the veal of. They they almost felt like they're milk-fed, right? Like mm. the blues uh, eat almost exclusively berries. So when, anytime you gut a blue and look in the crop, you're going to see just a load of big red berries. And so they're eat, and sometimes white berries. Right. So they're eating a lot of berries. And so I think it just gives kind of gives a juiciness to the meat that doesn't get matched by any of the other birds. I love chucker too. So it's it's hard. But um, th- those are the there. But they are. It's a special taste.
0: Yeah, you've mentioned your your sons throughout in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, your goal was to bag these nine species. Did, did your sons bag the nine species right along with you as well?
2: Um, so my son, Matt, my son, Christopher is off in college, so he wasn't, he'd fly fish with me this summer. Um, my son, Matthew, definitely knew it would be hard because he has school and wrestling. And, you know, so um, he he's gone on all, most of the trips and all on the weekends and stuff, but wasn't able to get a sage. So kind of ended that our sage season's only a month. Right. And um, I talk about my challenges with sage grouse. Um, so it kind of ended that quest for him. But hopefully we can do that next year. And I think right. he's he's interested in doing that. Cool. So, yeah.
0: All right. The uh, third on the list is is Huns, Hungarian mm-hmm. partridge, which I would assume is in a different type of habitat than the first two. So yeah. tell us about uh, moving down the list to, I think we're moving from steeper elevation, mountains, and we're heading towards a little bit more flatland birds. So.
2: Yep. Yeah. So Huns are, you know, I think it's – sad a lot of people think of them as like incidental birds Mm
0: -hmm. i
2: love hunting huns for the sake of hunting huns um maybe it's because in that i live in a town called eagle which is a little bit north of boise and we actually have huns in the foothills kind of in and around boise so pretty much as you look up from boise to that tree line any of the grasses up between me and the tree line we could find really good hun hunting Mm -hmm. um and so i love like you know i love getting out in the morning for an hour you know when i work before work and just hunting huns and so i can go literally 3 miles from my house and be on huns um you know in 7 minutes from from where really? i live it's great yeah
0: yeah i, I i'm with you They, they are they're near the top of my favorite birds to hmm. hunt because they you know you think about covey rise birds yep. um and you know they're they're a little bit bigger than your traditional different species of quail, right? Um, you know, they they generally give you a second chance after the first, yeah. but you're not likely to get a third chance. Yeah, no. uh, yeah. they're they're, and they're so beautiful with it, especially that that chestnut. Breast. Yeah, the ring on their yeah, that, chest. Yeah, yeah, they're they're gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah. Birds.
2: Yeah, and that's the, the big difference in hunt and Chucker. People on the podcast don't hunt those, is Hun's almost always flush in unison. Mm-hmm. Um, 15 to 20 bird coveys all going up right at the same time, right? That's Chucker, you'll get, if there's 20, you'll get 10, then 2, then 6, then 4. You know, they, they go up and. Sporat, much more sporadically than huns huns are tough and they're i think i think huns are the fastest game bird in north america at, you know at, at top speed i could have that wrong and i'm sure there's listeners who
0: might challenge that <laughs> think, but well i think I'll, yeah. I'll correct you on that it okay. is fe- the pheasant at the top is of, the okay. fastest yeah they can get 60 miles an hour oh at, huns aren't that fast Yeah. after after Rooster pheasant, then I don't okay. know where they are, but okay. I know the the rooster is the speed demon of the upland world.
2: Okay, maybe it's on on flush. You know, there's some something okay. I've heard or read about Hun's uh, speed. So I don't I don't hold me those quotes. By
0: the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so did you did you get your Hun on the list like within seven miles of your house? Yeah, that was uh-huh.
2: that was part of my goal too, is to get that close covey. And and one of the reasons is as soon as I got that first frost again because of snakes. Uh, even by my house i am really wary of, of rattlesnakes and um be, britney's being forty pound dogs right they're they're not very like unlikely to live through a, a good rat, hard rattlesnake, but well, hey, so. y-
0: you've brought up snakes a couple of times, and mm. that's gonna that's gonna steer some listeners away from Idol yeah well uh, yeah, which um snakes wise like have you had incidents with your dogs?
2: No, I'm just super careful about when I hunt uh, you know most people say after two or three frosts, you're not going to see them anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I've read a lot. I'm not, I'm not a biologist or don't make believe I am one. But, you know, what I read is once you have consistently below 60 degree temperatures, rattlesnakes become very docile. And so I've actually seen tons of snakes in the summer. tons of snakes when I fish. I'm on snake ground when I'm hunting. I've never seen one because I just wait. I wait. So I wouldn't discourage anybody from coming to hunt in Idaho. Just make sure you're coming after that, it's cold enough that the snakes are going to be dend up in and in, put, you know, away.
0: Do you do any like um, deterrent training? So your dogs kind yeah. of steer clear of snakes and I guess part B of that question, what about vaccination?
2: Yeah, so I've talked to my vet about he's a bird hunter with Brittany's too and he, he thinks the vaccination's kind of a fifty fifty thing. I haven't done it. And I and speaking all this about snakes and my fear of them, I, I'm not, I'm not personally scared of them for my dogs. Yeah. I, yeah. I haven't done it because I feel like getting a snake bite's just as random as, as a dog encountering a snake. And the biggest thing is I, I don't hunt when snakes are gonna be around. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the that's the biggest deterrent, right? Um I, I'm confident that when I'm out it's cold enough that um and we have enough species in Idaho where I can go hunt other species before, um, I, you know, I, I turn to the species where the snakes are going to be. Great questions. I just I just, I just wait. No, there. that... You could challenge that, that, right? It's just how I kind of think about it.
0: I, I know a lot of people that do the exact same thing. It's like, mm-hmm. how do I avoid the snakes? And that means just going to hunt different things at different right. times of the year. Yep. And that's kind of the best recipe for avoidance. Yep, yep. Um, all right. I, I teased that we're moving kind of more flatland birds, because I can see mm-hmm. what what's on your list next, and that's uh, Sharpies. Yeah. Um, so I'm guessing a lot of people don't even realize that Idaho has Sharpies.
2: Yeah, man. That's Again, I, I feel like a recurring theme. I don't want to sound somber. Is just the, the, the pressure on these birds and the disappearance of a lot of these birds. So Idaho used to be a, a haven for sharptails, right? What I read is that it was the native bird in the grasslands here uh, from east to west of the state uh, into Oregon, washington there's very few left in most parts of the state the eastern part of the state where they still live it's the columbian sharptail i believe a little smaller probably than the sharptail in the midwest but looks the same Um, they are really abundant in certain parts of the state where the grasslands have been preserved Mm -hmm. but unless you can find those areas you're not going to find sharptail and and hunting is limited now only to that eastern part of the state kind of if you think about where Yellowstone Park is and go south down to mm. Pocatello, mm-hmm. that's kind of your sharp tail. You know, it's what's left of the sharp tail country in Idaho. So, so
0: are, are how many of these nine species are you hunting and bagging on public lands?
2: Oh, and that's a that's a point I had made earlier. That was part of my goal, too, is to do it all on public lands.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, what I love about moving here and surprised me about Idaho is how much public land is here. Yeah. People here, they might say, well, obviously, right? But um, most most people don't realize, like, there's, like, the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management, mm-hmm. um, has existed, you know, since the 1940s. And it's, there's, I think, a couple million acres of BLM lands in Idaho, which are all, as long as they're accessible, you know, open to the public. And so there's a mixture of national forests, which is mainly where I hunt the mountain grouse, the the forest grouse. And then the rest of my all the other seven species, pretty much, I'm hunting on um, Bureau of Land
0: Management lands. Cool, cool. And that was true of the Colombian sharptail, too. Yes, yep, for sure. Sweet. Yep. Um, All right, number five on the list, California valley quail.
2: Yeah. So I mentioned earlier, those those are abundant here. Um, We have them in our neighborhoods. We have them in, you know pretty much in the city, it's kind of, it's kind of awesome. You know, I used to bike to work and see them every morning. Hmm. Um, When I hunt them, I'm typically hunting draws, you know, where there's a lot of thicket in the draw um, and pretty much as long as there's a water source nearby, you're going to find, find some California quail. It's great. uh,
0: Again, another species I have not hunted. Mm -hmm. It's high on, yeah, really high on the list. And when I, you know, late night, can't sleep, looking through YouTube, I see Valley quail hunts and for whatever reason my eyes are drawn to the monster flushing Yeah. Like you know, where thirty, forty, fifty of yep. these birds, is is that commonplace? I would say so. Calif- is it really I'd say God? fifty.
2: Fifty's a little high, but thirty five, forty I see. Oh you're okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Now Yeah, I, you're teasing me.
0: This sounds yeah. so awesome.
2: <laughs> well you got you're gonna have an invitation to come hunt in Idaho, Bob, so that's yeah, yeah. I, gosh yeah.
0: how do you you know i think about a covey of huns or even a brood of sharpies you know it's yeah it takes discipline to mm-hmm. pick one bird out of a cubby yeah. right how do you do that with 40 of these <laughs> california quail yeah. yeah do they I, yeah. do they get up like uh, i think about you know a lot of times like bob whites or huns you know if there's 12 like 11 of them get up Yeah, really in unison. And there's just one stupid one that just is a little bit off left, right, whatever. And your eyes automatically like zero in on the one that breaks away from the covey, And that's what you shoot at. When when they're getting up as 30 or 40. Mm
2: -hmm. Are
0: they in unison? Or are they all over the place?
2: i'd say most of the time more often than not they're all over the place um the other day we put up a covey of 50 of them with my friend from texas and they went all over this canyon and
1: you know then but it's not just
2: hunting singles but you're hunting eight that went there right another it's almost like another covey um you know i have seen times when you see a flush of 50 and they all go to one spot but typically that's when you're not right on top of them when they're for whatever reason they're you're like why did they flush 100 yards away you know like uh, I've seen that. I, I don't think they have a sentinel out there or anything, right? But uh, I've seen it both ways. But I would say the, the kind of the rule is they're gonna they're gonna spread out. And I the note I took on this is ca- it's chaos, right? Yeah. And and safety is a big issue because mm-hmm. the one time you, you'll feel unsafe is like when if you have other hunting people with you that are shooting across the head or something because there's just so much chaos going on. So the rule I say to my friends when we go and hunt is. You just keep our shots on our side of the um, hedgerow because it just we it just it's going to be crazy if we put up forty or fifty of mm-hmm. these things.
0: Yeah. You do you did mention sentinel, mm-hmm. and I have experienced like sharp tails as the season progresses. Mm-hmm. Like I've I have witnessed like one sharp tail sitting in a tree mm-hmm. and the rest of them feeding in like a sentinel bird. Yeah, um, is that something that you've encountered with other with species in oh, Idaho? Chucker known to
2: do that well you know, yep. well documented that they always have a sentinel out and i've seen that happen a ton mm-hmm. i don't i don't know if quail do that or not i i just know that sometimes they'll flush like again 100 yards away and you just cannot figure out why they did that so yeah
0: well we're getting to chucker, but first we get to talk okay sage yeah grouse.
2: sage yeah. grouse yeah yeah this is the one i can't it's hard to admit it but i i, I needed four days to get one sage grouse and um i And and by the way, I have to travel quite a bit for sage grouse. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have to put in for a permit in Idaho. It's a lot. It's a I don't know if they call it a lottery, but it's they have a pretty advanced kind of queuing system where you get assigned a number. I guess it's through lottery, Mm -hmm. and you got to wait to see if you get a permit. And and then your permit's based on zone. I'd never done it till this year, so that was new to me. Um, And non-residents, I checked this out. Non-residents can get a sage grouse permit as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's one bird. Uh, this year it was two, okay. which was nice. So, but you still had to get two separate um, permits. Okay. Um, so I, I put in for one closer to me, but I ended up getting the first one I got was almost to Yellowstone, which is about a five-hour drive, hmm. and then I got another permit for about two hours away. But of course, the more birds are further away, right? So I, I went out there twice and didn't get a bird, and then I went close to my house, that two-hour one didn't and by the way i didn't see a bird so and i know they're there right because you see tons of sign and tons it's just it my you read about them it's like finding a needle in a haystack sometimes and i put up as many as 30 when i'm just walking through the sage and but not of course when i was hunting and then so basically that that fourth trip i finally got one and of course i got it like with 10 minutes to spare before the sun went down
0: no so, kidding
2: uh, yeah and I, I put up six of them and uh I, I saw the big one and I missed it. And I'm like, I better save. My, and then sure enough, I, I got a trail one that was a much smaller bird. So huh. the tail's right up there. You can see about me.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. I can't, I'm not good yeah. at my finger. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: There you go. Yeah, so. uh, and this one was, I mean, this one was the bird that you'd never hunted before. And you knew yep. that this was going to be a challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay, four days hunting anything that you learned that is going to make you a better sage grouse hunter next time around?
2: Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm i pretty good at picking out, finding sign. I've learned over the years, you know, what trucker poop looks like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, when I would show you to talk about poop, but I'm pretty, I'm always looking down, right? I'm always looking for that. I didn't know what sage grouse looked like and I should have known on day one. Mm-hmm. And once, I think after that second trip, I went back and, and I actually did some research on it and I figured out that, they have, they have two different kinds of poop because they don't... What i learned by reading online is they don't actually have um, a gizzard. Gizzard, yeah. They're the only bird that can't digest with rocks. Mm-hmm. So they actually have two forms of, of poop, right? I don't know the word, sign, I guess, is a better word to say. And once I was able to identify that and, and start finding it, um, I think that's what led me to finding finally running into some, some more birds, finding huh. some birds. Because I did end up flushing a covey that I didn't get a shot at. And then that last day, I, got, I finally got a shot, so...
0: I, I've, so I've, I've had a number of folks on talking about sage-grouse, and they talk mm-hmm. about the importance of water source, which is true mm, of yep. all upland birds. Yep. Was there any connection from, you know, you, you, where you were looking around metric For sure. areas? Yeah,
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And Idaho is a pretty arid state, you know, especially in the south where I live. I think we get like 9 to 10 inches of rain a year. So there's mm-hmm. actually not that many water sources. So that is something I focused from the first day on was being near a water source. Um, I sat and I walked in concentric circles around this one reservoir of massive sage land and didn't come across one. But the one I did shoot, and I you know, don't want to give hunting spots away, but the, the, it was on the Snake River plain. And so mm-hmm. the Snake River was probably just a few hundred yards from where I shot the bird. Okay. So they were, I think they were moving there actually when I shot them because they were going from west to east. So, yeah.
0: And there are often they're a lot of mixed reports on eating. A sage mm. grouse, but if you you know the, the majority of the people that rave positively about them mm-hmm. say young birds are the way to go. Yeah. Um, how how did you like it? I, in the park? I
2: haven't eaten it yet. It's in the freezer. Uh, my yeah. son Matthew, the, the one who likes a birds, is also a, a phenomenal chef. So he's going to come up with some, um, some some way to cook it. So I'm sure cool. it'll be good. Yeah. yeah. Fine.
0: So yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Next on the list, um, our favorite species, the mm. redneck pheasant. Um, yeah. So that's that's number seven.
2: Yep, and um, you know that's a species I grew up hunting the most as a kid in New Jersey. Um, people probably don't put those two together, but I, I did hunt a lot of pheasants as a kid. Um, again, somber tone. When I moved here, I hunted pheasants a lot, and mm-hmm. there were a lot, I actually had several private farms through friends of ours and wrestling families that my kids knew that gave me access to some phenomenal pheasant hunting. It's, it's pretty much gone at this point. And I hate to say that, but it's true.
0: What, um, what do you attribute that to?
2: I, I think it's, and again, I, I'm not at all calling out farmers because I, I think it's it's such an important fat part of our fabric in the country, but I think the way that farming has changed in Idaho is is my theory. I've heard other theories, right? But I know at least the places I hunted kind of really moved to clean farming. Uh, they moved from, you know, over the last 20, 30 years from uh, irrigation farming that left a lot of uh, like canals and irrigation ditches mm-hmm throughout the farm to pivot farming right and so those farms aren't there to you know um for pheasants are there for family livelihood but i think the changes in in farming techniques and on the places that i hunt are what led to you know seeing 100 birds a day to seeing barely one right Mm -hmm. so um it's unfortunate for me as a hunter um but you know those they're they're getting the maximum yield out of the the farms and i know that this is different in all other parts of the country i'm just talking about these farms that i used to hunt in idaho sure yeah
0: um, yeah. So tell us about you. You did check it off the list. So how did it how did it come together yeah. for
2: you? Yeah. So there so there are spots I have where I I find them, but I kind of I have them marked in my onyx, right? And so um, each year to year, it's funny. I'll 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 see one bird in there and I'll get it, and mm. um, I know there's more than one in there, right? A lot of the WMAs have BLM land that uh, is adjacent to them, so you can um, find birds that kind of wander onto those BLM lands. So that's kind of how I hunt pheasant today is. I definitely love to do it i think the most majestic bird to flush and shoot is a pheasant but um it's not something that's super common here anymore so
0: gotcha yep. um you you talked about your britneys throughout were you uh, were they able to point all nine of these species too yeah
2: yeah they did that that pheasant was uh pointed ran across luckily i had two dogs it was luck you know how that happens most of the time it's 90% of the time it's not but it ran into this thicket and my other dog Ellie happened to be over there and she pointed it from the other side and I got I got a shot but they're tough I hunted in South Dakota this year those birds run right and Mm so I love Brittany's to death you have a short hair right and I often think the best dogs for pheasant are flushers right because they Mm -hmm. get those birds up in the air when your pointers are just point follow (laughs) point follow but definitely true here too
0: yeah, yeah, there's no doubt, like, a lab, particularly in, you know, heavy cover states, Minnesota, the mm-hmm. Iowa, Dakotas, yeah. you know, they can make a living chasing pheasants and cattails and heavy cover. Yeah, I hunted
2: over Springer, it. a friend of mine has two Springer's phenomenal pheasant dogs mm-hmm. in South Dakota this year, I think I mentioned I hunted with some guys from St. Cloud. Yep. Uh, one guy had a little Springer, just, she was phenomenal, just popping birds up in the air constantly, mm-hmm. and my mm-hmm. dogs are like... Going nuts trying to point these things. It's a lot of fun.
0: All right. Number eight on the list sounds like it might be your favorite. Um, Yeah. Shaking your head in affirmative. Number eight is is Chuckers.
2: Yeah. So people ask me all the time, what's your favorite bird to hunt? It's definitely Sharptail or Chuckers. Hmm. And I think the, you know, Sharptail are a native species. So there's this like authenticity to hunting Sharptail. But chucker are like the if, if people are going to travel to Idaho to hunt something, it's a chucker, and I I say that because I, I know tons of guys in the East Coast. Oh, I've shot chucker on plantation on you know preserves, mm-hmm. right? And um, and I say it's nothing like nice. that, right? So um, our chucker here are live in usually in canyon lands in like you know I guess the first rule is it's got to be steep, mm-hmm. right? So they're typically using that steepness to their advantage. Um, they also need rock, right? I think in a lot of parts of the world, they call them rock partridge. Mm-hmm. They wanna have rock, they hide in the rock. They, they use that rock for you know, cover and, and different reasons. They, they have to have cheatgrass. I, I think it's their main 90% of their food source is, is what I understand is, is cheatgrass. And then typically look for sage, right? So they're gonna be around some sage. And so when you find those four things, right? You go, well, oh, that's a chucker, that's a chucker spot. And probably the most important one is steepness. Like if mm. you know, you hear they run up, they they run they run uphill, they fly downhill. So you typically chase them uphill because <laughs> you want to be on top of them. But most mm-hmm. of the time, you're going to chase them up and they fly right over your head and fly back down. And it's 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 mind-boggling sometimes, but it's so much fun. Mm. And um, I, I I love it. And you know, there's like I said, this year chucking numbers are way up. Um, you're you know hundred to two hundred birds a day is is not uncommon uh, really? when, when you have, when you have good numbers. Yeah.
0: In, so. you you know we all have heard the saying you chase you hunt chucker the first time for fun, yep. and every other time for revenge. Right. You know, does that ring true for you?
2: Oh yeah, totally. Yeah yeah. My um, this year I actually got revenge because there was a, the where I shot the the chucker the first chucker this year was on some Idaho BLM land. Um, and I there was this one hill right when you drive in I went up it four times last year and put up four flushes and didn't get a bird or you know or they flushed too far fortunately this year I I parked there got out of my car I walked up the hill I was dying I mean the dog would could tell it was birdie the whole time And right on that, right on that ledge, they flushed. And luckily I got, I got one, but that, so it's rare that you actually say you can get revenge, but uh, (laughs) I I got my revenge from last year, this year. So I just shot one, but it was, it was good. So
0: Um, how good a shape do you legitimately need to be in to hunt Chuckers?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think I find as the season goes on, I get in way better shape. Um, I, at the start of the season, I'm never in good enough shape to do it, um, I I mainly mountain bike in order to get in shape for chucker. I think you you have to do what you know some type of gym equipment like a, a stair climber or something or a mountain bike that you're really building up your quads because you're you're walking up uphill and your quads are burning. Um, I feel like if I was you know if I wasn't in mountain biking shape when the season started, I wouldn't be able to do it and I see a drastic improvement through the season as as I hunt more and more chucker. But you definitely want to. Have, it's it's wind, right? You want to have mm. really strong lungs when you're going after them.
0: And it feels like so. There's so many things against you, mm-hmm. hunting chucker. The the elevation, the endurance, the yep. shooting up, the shooting down, the century birds. It feels like, and again, another species I've never hunted. Hmm. Um, it feels like the only advantage they give you is they don't flush wild a lot of the time. They you actually can yep. get relatively close yeah. to, to making makeable shots most of the time. Is that accurate yeah, assessment?
2: Yeah. Like quail, they'll, you'll, yesterday we had a 100-yard flush. No idea why. could have been a sentinel bird. We, we don't know. Um, but I think the other advantage, that's definitely true what you said, the other advantage is that that sporadic flush, unlike huns where you get 12 flush at, at syn- in imperfect synchronization, mm. you, you might get six trucker go up and you might not get a shot at those first six, but be ready. Cause there, there could be six more behind them that go mm. up sporadically after that. Mm-hmm. Even after you shoot one or two fall, you might get another one pop out of the ground surprisingly. So mm-hmm. that's the only like advantage The word advantage on Chuckers hard to say, but that's the only <laughs> advantage you really get.
0: Yeah. yeah. Similar. We've talked about sharp tails to, to a little bit lesser extent, prairie chickens. Mm-hmm. There's almost always a sleeper bird. You know, yeah, like 11 birds in a brood get up but don't empty your gun because right. there's there's going to be one more yeah um, and
2: that's probably why i like both sharptails and chucker they have pretty similar like um flushing
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, they're sim- they're similar on the flush
0: yeah. uh one more thing at chucker it it feels like it's the instagram darling of hmm. bird hunting like it, it feels to me like it's it's the bird that Everybody in 2023 is going out hmm. and chasing. Do you feel? Do you see an increase in hunting pressure when you're out chucking chucker hunting in the last couple of years?
1: Mm,
2: that's a really good question. I I probably have, but I attribute it to the population change in Boise. Hmm. Um, every now and then, like not even one a year, I'll come across an out-of-state hunter. I would say most of the chucker hunters I'm coming across, at least in the Owahis, are um, are in-state guys who live in boise and mm-hmm. um but i think if you go up to hell's canyon which is another five hours north of my house you might see a lot more out-of-staters up there
1: okay
2: because it gets a little more notoriety and with right. this show now maybe the Oahis are getting and all my Chuck <laughs> and friends are gonna want to probably kill me after this but anyway, it's a you know it's a tough area to figure out so yeah you know, so, all right no, we'll, yeah.
0: we'll leave we'll leave chuckers and, uh okay uh yeah. number nine the final bird on your list is mm-hmm. the sprucey yeah, and I have hunted spruces before, but not okay. in the west. But
2: you have them in Min- up in Minnesota, right? Yeah,
0: we do, it in, in, right on in, uh, on the edge and into the boundary waters of Minnesota. So um, we don't have a yeah. ton of them, but um, you know, I think the last three years I've been able to okay uh, bag a sprucey while I've been out rough grouse hunting.
2: Yeah, neat birds, right? I, I especially never,
0: especially the males.
2: Yeah, I, I shot a male, which is really cool. I could send you a picture of that, um, but. Uh, I, um, I'd wanted to get them before the snow because, you know, where they live in Idaho is typically going to be snow covered pretty early. Mm. Um, I, I, went, I mentioned to you, I went twice for blue grouse where I know spruces were, um, which is up actually three hours north of my house, pretty far. Um, I didn't get one, so mm. I was kind of frustrated. Uh, and I have a friend who lives up there and actually has a bordering property to the blm land up there and he's like i just walk on the road i see him all the time and but some days i'll go five or six days in a row without seeing one so that happened to me you know a couple trips up there one one thing i really like to do and i'm I'm not trying to flood any um state biologist's office but i like to call biologists and just ask them questions and they they either hate me or love me i don't know but early in like in august when i was planning this trip out this season out i called a biologist in boise and i asked him where where he would go closest to boise and he gave me a a onyx spot about two hours from my house so I, i should have gone there first because it was an hour closer but it was also in an area i didn't know that was pretty high altitude i was worried about snow and so i ended up going there on my third trip for the for the spruce grouse and um my, i only took my dog Louie with me but he had a great point on a road so mm. it, was, it wasn't in the thick thick forest but um it was uh what this biologist told me is look for it's interesting i said look for spruce he said no in idaho we look for um uh ponderosa pines
1: hmm.
2: i'm not a good a good tree identifier but hmm. um i it, sure enough it was in a pretty heavy like canopy ponderosa pine forest and um i'm sorry no he said lodgepole pine sorry lodgepole pines, lodgepole pine forest and uh that you know luckily got one again towards the end of the first day i was up there
0: yep. I, i'm with you you know they are beautiful birds i i really think they're cool it's yeah it's um You know, I know they're they're considered fools hens. You know, they're they're not uh, one of the more challenging birds on the wing, but they are challenging to find, particularly when they're, whether it's lodgepole pines, uh, spruce uh, Mm. forests. I've gotten them in tamaracks or jack pines. Mm. I mean, anybody that knows any of those types of forest, I mean, it's just hard getting a you know being able to see a bird in some of yeah. those forests because they're so thick but they are just a gorgeous gorgeous bird
2: yeah i knew they were in there because when i hunted it sure enough had snow and i was starting to get worried about not getting that bird for the season even though i had more challenge with sage grouse um <laughs> but i saw a lot of prints it told me there were a lot of birds in there right i mean it could have been other forms of grouse but i think that all the prints look pretty much the size of a mm. spruce grouse so yep
0: so, all right, so, so you nine species, the Idaho nine, what's, yep. you think about, okay, you got a little more time these days. Yeah. Um, have you set a goal for 2024?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I've been thinking about that. I, again, I, I got to come up with my, like what I'm going to fish for next year, but, um, <laughs> you know, next year, the last year, my math son, Matthew will be in the house. So
1: mm.
2: I, I think I'd really just like to hunt with him as much as possible. Um, and, and do this with him next year mm-hmm. if if we can make the sage grouse work if you know and if the birds are a good enough number next year um beyond that then and, and i start thinking well traveling outside of idaho like i think something that'd be really cool is, is get every upland species in the country like that mm-hmm. would be really blessed to do something like that haven't made that like my goal yet right but um I think there's, like, I haven't hunted quail down and I've hunted bobwhites, but not scale quail, a quail. Um, Gambles. Uh, tar, yeah, I, I've hunted, gam- I, I yeah. live in California, so I, right. I, okay. I used to hunt those over by the Arizona border. But, um, yeah, so that stuff like, that's kind of what I'm, I've been thinking about, but uh haven't, you know, set that in stone yet. But cool. it sounds like something that'd be pretty cool.
0: So, as, as we wrap up, and you think about the year you just had, mm-hmm. you know, the... These nine species of birds, spending time yep. with your your son, you know, your youngest son who's going to leave the house, mm-hmm. um, traveling across the state. Like, I, I guess I'm wondering if there's any grandiose, big thoughts that you want to pass along to listeners yeah. as a as a closing comment about this experience or what you maybe learned.
2: Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about that. Um, there's kind of like three things in my head. I think is one very blessed to be able to do this, and I um, I think more than just hunting, spending time with my son doing this, but also and i seeing different geographies that I would never seen. Mm-hmm. I I think one of the reasons Idaho has so many different species, we have a lot of different geography in a you know, not a tiny state, but a relatively small amount of area. So I got to see some really cool things, like things I didn't even know existed. Like there's these massive sand dunes in Hmm. Eastern Idaho where thousands of people congregate with these amazing, like sand dune buggies with jet engines on them. And I saw this, I was like, Holy cow. I've never, (laughs) I lived in Idaho for 21 years. And I never knew this existed. just to see those sand dunes. was cool. Hmm. And a friend of mine actually took me up in them. So I never got to do that either. So the incidental things I got to do as Hmm. part of this trip, I felt very, um, you know, he's the word blessed, but, um, that's kind of how I felt. The other thing that makes you realize is a second point is, um, how, I know these birds. Birds have been pressured since I'm a little kid, right? We had pheasant in my mother's yard when I was a kid, and they're not there anymore. And so now I see that across pretty much all nine of these species, right? I said chucker numbers are up, but I think all other bird numbers are, are probably down in Idaho. I, I don't quote me on that, but I when you talk to old timers, like you used to be hundreds of these everywhere I went. So you know th- that all these birds have been pressured, right? And so, and then I, my last point is, I don't. I'm not just saying this for lip service, but it really made me realize, like. I need to get more involved on the conservation side. Right? Mm-hmm. I I am retired. I I do volunteer in different organizations here. I don't just bird hunt, right? And but um when I think about where I want to bird hunting is so important to me as as is fishing. Those are my two things that I do pretty much year round. Um I I need to figure out how I could best use my own skills
1: sure. and
2: my what, what I'm good at to help best so I'm, I'm thinking about that now a lot, Bob. I'd love your feedback on that after the show and you know how can I best help, right? And so kind of the challenge I actually put to myself as I was thinking about this podcast is a year from now, I'd love to check in with you to find out what I actually did from the conservation standpoint. And of course, I know Pheasants Forever and Quell Forever are two great organizations to start with. There's a really active Pheasants Forever um, community here in the Treasure, they call it Treasure Valley Pheasants Forever. But I I, I need to figure out and put a challenge to myself um, to go and, and actually get involved.
0: Cool. So that's really well said and and, you know ultimately let's boil that's why we're doing a podcast like Mm -hmm. this you know that podcast reaches new ears new listeners that traditionally wouldn't show up at a banquet and Mm -hmm. hopefully your story of adventure Mm -hmm. interests people beyond like you know bird hunting isn't about you know putting three roosters in your bag right and throwing them in the freezer and Thinking about the next trip to South Dakota next year. It's, it is, it offers so much in terms of relationship with the land, to wild foods, a love of a good bird dog, connection yeah. between a father and a son, a daughter and a mom, a daughter and a son, dad and mom. You know, it just, and you've carried another thread throughout this. Upland bird hunting takes you to some of the most beautiful places on the planet, even if. Even if your entire season exists in one state, mm-hmm. you know Idaho. You talk about the canyons to the farmlands, to the sand dunes, uh, to the Sharp Tail Flats. You know, you have a. You know, yeah, you have a shotgun in your hand. You're following a dog, but you probably are having the greatest experiences of your year with the people you care about the most in these places while you're out chasing birds so hopefully you know that was my that was my dream when i got this email from you as like yeah this this is inspiring hopefully somebody is inspired by yeah it's a list of nine birds but it's so much deeper than that it's not it's not about killing nine birds it's experiencing nine different habitats nine different hunts the successes and the failures the failures keep bringing you back you know exactly it's it's the sage grouse that your son didn't get that Mm -hmm. makes next year all that more exciting to look forward to so so you know vince i want to thank you first of all for mentioning um you know your interest in getting more involved in conservation Mm -hmm. but you know most of all thanks for sharing your story reaching out and um, i hope listeners are energized. Um, there's yeah. an aspect of of our conversation that gets them energized about go experiencing something new.
2: Thanks, Bob. I really appreciate that and appreciate what you do and what your organizations do for not just our bird hunters but our, our you know conservation and and every and our, you know, all the the efforts that go into that. So so thank you very much and I I really really uh, appreciate being part of this. So thanks.
0: Right on. So folks, um, as you're listening to this, it's right around the holidays and uh you know it, it may be contrived but uh a new year is right around the corner so you know make a new year's resolution like vince here um create an adventure that inspires you create an, an adventure a bucket list a new year's resolution that uh, gets you jacked up for 2024 gets you involved in conservation, gets you into a new landscape behind a bird dog. Because as long as you follow that bird dog, something good will rise. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a wonderful holiday season.